Hello and welcome on to another episode of the ISO Ball Podcast with your host, Derek Terrio, your place to learn about the NBA on and off the court. Another episode here of This Week in Basketball, focusing on the week of February 24th to March 1st. I uh, just got done watching the Raptors-Nuggets game where uh, the Nuggets came out with, with an impressive victory uh, over the uh, over the Raptors, uh, headlined by a Nikola Jokic triple-double and some great performances from Jamal Murray as well. Uh, but we're not going to get into that today. We're doing uh, this week in basketball, so we'll hit on some injury news, uh, some buyout guys that have continued to be buyout by their prospective teams that can still join a roster uh, for the playoffs. Uh, we're going to go over Bucks Raptors, which was my game of the week, and then we're going to talk about this whole uh, Giannis Harden back and forth. Uh, Harden doesn't pass. Giannis isn't skilled uh, type of debate, and then we're going to go into uh, what I learned this week. So. Let's start off here with the news. Uh, starting off here with an unfortunate news here from uh, Suns forward Kelly Oubre Jr. Uh, has torn his meniscus. Unfortunately, he's going to be done uh, for the year. Uh, tough break here for Kelly Oubre. Uh, seemed like all the Drew Hanlon clients were really balling out uh, this year. You know, Embiid, obviously, a star player. But uh, Jason Tatum has been absolutely on a tear as of late. Same with Bradley Beal. And uh, just kind of some unfortunate news here for Kelly Oubre for that he got his meniscus uh, torn. So he looks like he's done for the year. Uh, Kelly Oubre had a fantastic year uh, this year. He was uh, absolutely no slouch. Uh, I I believe I talked about him earlier in uh, the year on a podcast just going through uh, you know some of his breakout season, but he he was just fantastic this year. Uh, there's nothing, uh, nothing that needs to be said. So uh, just going through his stats, he's uh, he finished playing 56 games, um, had averaged uh, you know only um, only 10 points per game. Felt like it was a lot more. Or sorry, no, what am I saying? 10 points, 18 points per game here for Kelly Oubre Jr. Uh, playing about 35 minutes a game for the Suns, uh, 45% from the field, 35 from three on five attempts per game. Uh, he was shooting uh, 51% from two-point range, uh, 78% from the line there as well. Uh, you know, low assist guy, only uh, 1.5 assists, but averaging six rebounds to go along uh, with um, about a, a steal a game and a, just under a block a game as well. So, uh, you know, Kelly Oubre definitely had a great season this year, and uh, hopefully we'll see him back uh, get to that same form next year as he's uh, on the books for about $15 million there for the Suns and what I believe to be a solid deal uh, for them next year. So we'll see. Hopefully Kelly can come back next year uh, nice and healthy after this uh, meniscus tear. And, uh, yeah, keep moving forward. So so we got a couple sixes here. Ben Simmons with his back injury and Joel Embiid with a shoulder. So Joel Embiid seems to be a little bit more short-term. Seems like he's going to be back. You know, within a couple games here, the Sixers lost uh, two the Clippers today, after a fantastic performance from a career high performance there from Shake Milton, um, with no Joel Embiid and no Ben Simmons, so Embiid looks like his return is pretty imminent. He's going to be back soon, but Ben Simmons with this back tweak or this back injury, you know, Woj is reporting that there's no necess- there's not necessarily a, a specific timeline going on right now, but uh, the timeline is pretty murky, and that's fairly concerning here. For the Sixers, they really need to be. Uh, th- th- their goal should really be to uh, be in one of those top four seeds. As you know, their home record has been absolutely fantastic this year. Road record has been uh, not so much. The total opposite. One of the biggest home road disparities in terms of win loss that we've seen in a long time. 
So not having Ben Simmons is definitely going to hurt that. And, you know, it's, it's a balance here of, you know, obviously be wanting to get that uh, one of those top four seeds to get uh, home home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs, but also, you know, wanting to make sure that Ben Simmons is healthy regardless of where your seeding is in the playoffs as well. So it's a tough little balancing act here for the Sixers, and uh, I'm guessing they're going to let Simmons take as much time as he needs to get back and healthy, but uh, they need him back as soon as possible because they can't really afford, you know, too many losses. And just given their road record and how they played there this year, uh, getting home court advantage is imperative for the Sixers team. So we'll see how it goes with Ben Simmons and his back, but uh, Joel Embiid should be back fairly soon here, and uh, we'll see how they fare, uh, you know, given those two uh, given those two absences. But obviously Joel Embiid's uh, return is pretty imminent here. So a few buyout guys, three of them to be exact. Alan Crabb being bought out by the Wolves here. Um, I don't know if he necessarily gave back any money. Uh, just looking here at the Early Bird Rights uh, cap sheet here on earlybirdrights.com, it looks like the tax bill or the tax room for the um, the Minnesota Timberwolves is at $1.1 million, and I think before when he was on the roster, it was about at $1.5. So he might have given back you know, about five hundred k or so. Uh, in the buyout there, but um, I don't think it's going to be enough to get the uh, the Timberwolves under the tax uh, this year. So it looks like they're going to have a mini tax bill, uh, barring you know another cut uh, to their roster. Uh, but again, Alan Crabb uh, cut before March first, so uh, he will have a chance to join uh, another roster before the playoffs. Uh, and some teams could use possibly his shooting there as well. Uh, the Lakers are waving Troy Daniels, uh, obviously a guy that's not getting uh, very many minutes for the Lakers, and the Lakers could benefit from that extra roster spot as well to, you know, pick up one of those guys uh, to help their playoff chances, whether it be uh, a J.R. Smith, a Dion Waiters, Lance Stevenson. Those are three names that are being thrown around, or even Alan Crabb for that matter. They could use some shooting as well, so that that could be an option for them. But Troy Daniels is getting waved. Um, and it looks like they're going to be facilitating a way to get him uh, onto another roster here as well. Jordan McRae is being bought out by the Nuggets, obviously, with the, with their two point guards uh, being um, sorry Jamal Murray and Monte Morris. You know, Jordan McRae doesn't seem to uh, necessarily need to be on the roster uh, per se, not necessarily uh, going to be a guy in the playoffs. And, you know, even if a point guard were to go down – you looked. You saw Jokic today, just running offense, being able to throw the ball through him in the post, and just kind of cutting off him is basically, basically point guard esque. To be honest, given the way he play makes, so uh, no need for Jordan McRae there. He's going to be bought out there from the Nuggets. All right, let's move on here to the Bucks Raptors. This was my game of the week. Uh, two heavyweights in the Eastern Conference going at it here again. This was on Tuesday, February twenty fifth, I believe. And so let's let's get into it here. So there was no uh, Norman Powell and no Marcus Gasol in this game for the Raptors. Norman Powell has since returned. Gasol still dealing with that hamstring injury. Um, but let's dive into it. So the game really started slow for both teams. Uh, both teams they really got similar looks to start. A lot of you know semi to wide open threes and very little points in the paint. And you know that's largely what the Bucks are looking to do. Right? Is keep you out of the paint and say basically. You can jack up as many threes as you want, but you are not going to go get these easy buckets in the paint. And I think Stan Van Gundy really, uh, he was excellent on this broadcast, I might add, him and I and Eagle. But he made a very good point on the broadcast by saying, you know, people are all into this analytics. And sometimes I think what's forgotten is the most efficient shots are layups and dunks 
then free throws, then three-pointers. And so the Bucks are taking away the third out of those, you know, uh, shots on the hierarchy of the most to least efficient, like the th- with threes being, you know, the least efficient out of uh, threes, layups, and free uh, layup dunks and free throws. So that's their that's their style. Is hey, you can jack up as many as you want. We're gonna get out there. We're definitely gonna contest. We're gonna do our best to make sure that it gets into the hands of the guys who can't really shoot threes as well. And we're gonna live with the results. So. The Raptors started one of nine from the field. The Bucks started one of seven. I mentioned both of those uh, teams got off to slow starts. And not necessarily particular to this game, although, you know, a couple of them went down. But Giannis seems to have now developed this little fadeaway jumper in the paint from, you know, about 10 to 14 feet or so. He's able to just kind of back you down. And when he really just feels the wall that's right around the paint where he doesn't want to try to go up for a tough finish, he'll just take this little kind of dark fade step back. Um, and there's really just nothing you can do about it. It's almost unstoppable. And he made one of those to start the game. So I figured I'd mention it here. Um, corner threes really started hurting the Raptors as well in that first quarter. You know, most of them were wide open. Brooke Lopez got a couple. Robin Lopez even got one as well. Uh, so that was kind of a problem for them. And after one, it was 27 to 25 for the Raptors. Um, but the Raptors had just six paint points. Um, but the threes were really falling for them. They had six threes, uh, in the first quarter were six out of 17, uh, the Bucks got a lot of their points in that first quarter. You know, from the free throw line, they went 4 of 11 from 3 as well and got a couple buckets uh, it, driving in the paint uh, in addition to that. So in the second quarter here, you know, the threes continue to fall for the Raptors. And there was a, a stretch here where they made quite a few. Uh, Chris Boucher made one. And Matt Thomas actually made three triples here in this uh, second quarter. Uh, one where the defenders just simply just went under the screen. Uh, that's a no-no for Matt Thomas. He's, he's um, border... Bordering on elite shooter, barring, uh, you know, maybe not as much volume as you'd want to see. Uh, he's going to, if he gets that volume up, he's going to command a lot of gravity, assuming his percentages, uh, you know, stay about the same. But uh, nevertheless, going under uh, the screen on Matt Thomas is a no-no, and so he was able to hit one there. The second one came uh, back-to-back as he was running transition. Lowry found him, you know, on that deep wing. Uh, four or three, and then the third one came off a pin down uh, where he was just able to, you know, run off, uh, sprint off that pin down, catch and shoot into the hop, and uh, it was 39 to 30 for the Raptors with about 8.30 to go in that second quarter, and, you know, just in addition to these three-pointers, Brooke Lopez, um, you know, and I watched it today as I caught the end of uh, Hornets uh, versus Bucks here where the Bucks got the win. Brooke Lopez continues to play this deep drop coverage in pick and roll. I think I've discussed, you know, the different types of pick and roll coverages on this podcast, but you know, the deep drop being, um, when, so when you're in pick and roll on defense and you get screened, uh, when the ball handler comes off the screen, basically what the drop coverage, uh, in- incentivizes is either you're going to be, you're going to, uh, take that three, uh, that that immediate three coming off the screen, or they're going to funnel you down into the mid-range, and um, that's obviously a better shot uh, for the defense if they can force you to take a contested mid-ranger. But uh, Lopez continued to play that drop coverage and pick and roll, just daring the Raptors to take as many threes as they can get up. And, you know, they did get up quite a few threes in this game, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but the Raptors really dominated this second quarter. Uh, they really did, uh, but for about an 11 to one run 
coming from the Bucks in the last two and a half minutes. And, you know, the the Bucks ended the half down just two going into the third quarter. And, you know, that was really the, part of the problem here for the Raptors as well is, you know, you, you hit 11 threes in the first half. You play pretty solid defense. You, you held Giannis in check for the most part, not giving anything easy. You protected the paint reasonably well, and yet you're only up two on the Milwaukee Bucks uh, after all of that. So that that was tough there for the Raptors. It seemed like they had outplayed the Bucks for most of that first half, and yet we're only up two points. And so here we go into the third quarter here. The Raptors scored about eight points in the first three minutes, and they're saying, okay, maybe they can keep this up. Maybe things are going to happen. And then the next nine minutes of the quarter, they scored a total of 11 points. And so basically the Bucks bet worked. You know, the Raptors went cold shooting. Uh, they turned the ball over a lot, and that's credit to the Bucks defense. They made everything tough for Toronto in the last nine minutes of that quarter, and it, and it just really showed as the Raptors offense really struggled uh, for the majority of that third quarter. And for the Bucks, I mean, they scored 34 points in this third quarter, and you know, a lot of their points came inside the arc in this quarter. Mid-rangers, you know, back cuts, getting to the free throw line. They got beat for a couple of corner threes as well. Um, and a lot of their points came off fairly easy looks, not necessarily too tough. So, again, this is what the Bucks are just banking on, right? You won't be able to sustain. You, you get hot. Okay, great. Bet. We're, we're going to bet that you're not going to be able to sustain that level of hot shooting throughout a whole game. And they'll, and in the playoffs, they'll say, they'll say, hey, through a seven-game series, that's that's not going to hold up this hot shooting, and we're going to bet on that, which I think is a pretty you know solid strategy. And this came true in this game, in my opinion. The strategy definitely held up, and you know when the Raptors weren't making threes, there wasn't necessarily another way for them to score. They couldn't get into the paint. They weren't able to drive, penetrate, and get those kickouts. Um, and even when they were, the threes weren't falling. So, 14 points in the paint through three quarters for the Toronto Raptors, and that was uh, that's a sincere problem uh, if the threes aren't falling. And so, 34 to 19, the Bucks won that quarter uh, in the third, and it was 84 to 71 after three for the Milwaukee Bucks. And so going into the fourth quarter, the Raptors actually went on an 11-3 run to start the fourth, you know, eight points in the paint, three free throws. Um, it was looking good. It was looking good for them to say, okay, maybe maybe they can make a game of this here. Uh, and then Middleton made a couple of nice buckets, one nice little step through to the rim and another mid-ranger that hurt. And that, sp that sparked an 8-0 run for the Bucks. although the Raptors responded pretty quickly to that. And, you know, just to, finish, just to cap it off as, you know, the, the Raptors actually won this quarter 26 to 24. But, you know, that 34 to 19 third quarter that the Bucks won really was the dagger in the heart there for the Raptors. But um, the thing that I noticed really big time here is, you know, Brooke Lopez was just a force on, on defense protecting the rim all night long. He had five blocks in this game. And the uh, the Bucks came out with the win, 108 to 97. Um, just going over some of the uh, the stats here, 22 total points in the paint there, you know, for the Raptors. Um, opponent points off turnovers. Um, so to so the Raptors turned the ball over 17 times, and I believe um, what this says is um, the Bucks scored 19 points off of the Raptors' 17 turnovers, and the the Raptors only scored five points. Off the 14 buck turnovers, uh, I believe is what that says. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong on that. Um, uh, so just looking at some of the other team stats here, 14 of 42 from three for the Bucks. That's good for 33%. Uh, they got to the line quite a bit. 30 out of 36 from the free throw line for them as well. 23 assists in this game. 
just fantastic stuff there for the Bucks. Uh, the Raptors uh, only got to the line 21 times to the Bucks 36. Uh, and they made only 15 of those. So maybe some points left there on the table at the free throw line. The Raptors got up 52 three-pointers, made 18 of them for 34, uh, 34%, but only shot 35% uh, from the field, which is you know a, a number that's way too low in my opinion. 21 assists, 16 turnovers there um, for the Raptors. Only four steals in this game, just five blocks. Uh, I mentioned Brooke Lopez had five of those himself, and you know the steal and block numbers there for... The Bucks, uh, 10 steals and 10 blocks. So clearly defensively, you know, holding the Raptors to 97 points, uh, getting the contributions from Brooke Lopez was big for them as well. Um, you know, for the Bucks, you know, Giannis fought just 5 of 14 uh, from the field, did get to the line eight times and made seven of those. He had 19 rebounds, eight assists, um, three blocks for him as well, and a total of 19 points. Chris Middleton with 22 points of his own on 7 of 14 shooting. Uh, went two of four from three. Giannis went two of four from three as well. He got to the line seven times, eight rebounds, three assists for him as well. So, you know, the Bucks, the Bucks are just a fantastic team. They're the, they're the best team in the NBA, in my opinion. Uh, their record clearly would back that up. I think as they're they have fifth, they're fifty two and eight now, if I'm not mistaken, uh, after today's win. And so you just have to, you basically just have to respect the Bucks at this point. They're playing fantastic basketball. Their defense is at the top of the league. Their offense is at the top of the league. And there's just really not a lot that you can kind of harp over uh, with this team. They're they're just fantastic in every category. And um, yeah, they're going to be a tough out in the playoffs. I really don't see an Eastern Conference team being able to beat this Milwaukee Bucks team four times out of seven. Um, and but then again, we said that last year. Uh, we definitely said that last year, and the, and the Raptors were able to do it. But I think the high-level talent on the Bucks and their and his ability, sorry, and their ability uh, to just throw out a bunch of different lineups. Chris Middleton much better this year than last year. Excuse me, uh, Bro- um, Brooke Lopez is looking like a Defensive Player of the Year candidate, if not at least one of the two All-Defensive teams. Uh, you know, Chris Middleton has been fantastic. I just mentioned Eric Bledsoe is having a very efficient season, 47% from the field for him as well. You know, George Hill can't seem to miss a three pointer. Dante DiVincenzo is giving them uh, some nice minutes. Marvin Williams has been a nice pickup. So they, they, they've just got just, and Wesley Matthews has uh, looked very good for them as well. So they have just got a lot of great pieces on that Bucks team. And uh, I would be worried about them if I were anybody, even if I'm in the West, I'd be worried about seeing the Milwaukee bucks in the finals because this team is you know just just fantastic and uh, i don't know what else really i can say about them they're just uh pretty incredible and uh i think uh i think anything less than a finals appearance uh would be shocking uh for this uh milwaukee team okay (coughs) excuse me so recently it came out i don't know when this actually happened i just know i remember hearing about it i remember seeing the twitter comments and all this stuff um there was a segment on the jump with Rachel Nichols where James Harden uh, is basically talking, you know, about Giannis and, you know, this all kind of started, well, you know, Worldwide Wob did a good thing on this where this actually started in 2014 with a little scuffle, you know, after um, I think it was Giannis or Harden, you know, one of the two fouled each other and then they got into a little, you know, kind of skirmish or whatever. And then, uh, you know, carried over into uh, 2019 where, you know, Harden believed that he was the MVP over Giannis and obviously Giannis won the MVP that year. And then we get into the All-Star game where, you know, during the All-Star draft, uh, Chuck basically asks, um, 
Giannis uh, during the live draft. What, you don't want the dribbler? Obviously referring to James Harden. And uh, Harden basically says, no, I want a guy that's going to pass the ball. And so he takes Kemba Walker instead. And so, uh, and then after the game, uh, after the All-Star game, basically Giannis admitted, hey, we were just trying to go and uh, and give the ball to whoever Harden was guarding, just trying to go at him, implying that Harden, you know, was a weak defender. So Giannis has taken, you know, some pretty, you know, some shots here at, um, at Harden, to be sure. And, you know, when Harden goes on the jump now, Harden goes and basically talks about, well, and this was the big comment uh, where he says, well, uh, I wish I could just be seven feet and just run and dunk. Like that takes no skill at all. And that's what really, that's what really kind of started this, uh, this beef. That's, that's what really set it off. And, you know, Twitter had their field day on all this sort of stuff. So my take on this is that, you know, both of the guys are wrong about each other. Obviously James Harden does pass. He averages many assists per game, but that's not even the point of it is that he's a willing, he's a willing passer. But the, the reason that, you know, maybe it doesn't look like he passes is because he dominates the ball for a lot of the possessions and basically a shot from Harden, uh, in isolation is usually a better shot, you know, than a lot of what the other Rockets will be able to get on their own. And sometimes even through ball movement as well. So to say Harden doesn't pass to me is a little bit ridiculous. I think everybody re- recognizes that Harden is a fantastic passer at a pick and roll. He can make the skip pass. He passes very well out of double teams to force four on threes and all that sort of stuff. Harden does pass. I, I don't think anybody is like really like jumping out the gym uh, and getting out of their seat to yell Harden does, never passes the ball. I don't think that that's a really a controversial take. He obviously passes. Harden is a great passer. But the one that really seemed to get people up in arms is, is Giannis actually skilled? And like this one baffled me when people were trying to argue that Giannis is not skilled. Like this drove me nuts. Okay. This drove me nuts. Okay. First of all, Giannis is like 6'11", 250. Okay. Giannis is massive. Okay. Massive. Everybody Giannis's size should, should it not and are not able to do what he does. And that's not a coincidence, okay? Guys his size shouldn't be able to do what he does. And the fact that Giannis, people are saying Giannis is not skilled is a completely ridiculous argument to me and I'm about to just tear it to shreds. So let's start with this. His post-up footwork is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. If you watched the Bucks game today, you saw his ability to step through on Biombo with like the little, you know, shimmy, fade away over the right shoulder, pump fake, step through with the left and get to the rim and one. That was fantastic. He's got a nice little baseline fadeaway jumper. We saw that today against the Hornets as well. And I talked about that in uh, the Bucks Raptors uh, game review where he's got that little fadeaway from 10 to 14 feet. He's very good at that. You know, some of the local, um, you know, some of the local Bucks uh, guys and uh, girls were talking about how he was working on that with the, with the conditioning coaches and the, uh, and the skill trainers and stuff like that. He's really got that down. That's pretty consistent for him now. Um, so he's got that little fadeaway, you know, from short distance, not from a long distance, but from short distance, he's got that fadeaway. Uh, he's got the turnaround jumper, uh, again, from, you know, from short distance when he needs it, he doesn't necessarily, not necessarily go to, but he's got it in his bag. He's a solid ball handler. You know, he can take guys off the dribble from triple threat and off the dribble from three when they're just kind of sagging off him and he doesn't want to do that. So, you know, is his handle like completely shifty, like breaking guys down, like making them, like dropping them, making them fall, you know, like, you know, taking like ridiculous step backs? No, absolutely not. He doesn't have that kind of handle. It's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit stiffer. 
but to say he doesn't have a handle at all is ridiculous. He runs the break in transition fantastically. He goes and he's got that Euro step footwork where he'll go and use the gather step two long strides and he's at the rim. Uh, he's got that ability to do that in transition, which, which takes skill quite obviously. And, you know, he's obviously got the ability to take guys off the dribble, you know, from triple threat um, and, um, and be able to dribble uh, from the three-point line to the rim when he needs it as well. Giannis is also a very solid passer. You know, he can pass out of double teams, and he sees a lot of those. He can pass out of situations where, you know, maybe he picks up his dribble, he gets trapped, and, you know, one of his guys, you know, cuts to the rim, and he finds them, you know, pretty consistently. Um, I haven't necessarily found too much of him passing uh, uh, as a short-roll decision-maker out of pick-and-roll, but, I mean, he's got a 33% assist percentage. That's the highest of his career. Um, that's got to say something to me, along with the six assists per game. I think Giannis is a very capable passer, if not uh, bordering um, onto above-average passer, in my opinion. And he's also got the ability to finish through contact. And, you know, this is where people started really going nuts is, is athleticism a skill is what is what really the debate came up. And to me, no, athleticism is not a skill. However, though, being it to me, being able to harness and control that athleticism and being able to use it as part of your skill set to me is a skill. So here's an example. You know, going for an athletic finish at the rim, taking the bump and still be able to hang in the air and finish through contact, that's a skill. That's not just pure athleticism. That that takes, you know, body control, you know, core stability. That's a skill. That's not necessarily just raw athleticism. And well, what about being able to use, you know, your strong center of gravity to set up moves like the fadeaway? You know what I mean? You're, you back down, you, you bump the guy off, you know, uh, use that pivot foot to spin away from the defender and fade uh, off the back foot to hit uh, from the baseline or from the middle of the lane or from the block. That's skill. That, that's using your athleticism to set up skillful moves. And that counts to me, man. Like, that's skill. Like, I, like I, I refuse to believe, like, that this stuff isn't skill. Like, like you're going to tell me, like, like, for example, Kawhi. Like, obviously, Kawhi is very skillful. Don't get me wrong. But, like, people say, yo, Kawhi is so strong. Like, he's so incredibly strong. Like, yeah, he's strong as hell. He's strong as shit. And that lead, and that's part of the reason why he's so skillful because he gets to his spot. You can't bump him off his spot. And then once he gets there, he rises up and takes that jumper over you in the mid-range. That's his athleticism and his strength, which I, you know, is kind of part of your athletic ability, is your strength. Um using that to be able to get to your skillful moves. And that counts to me. So I, I don't see where like what's going on here. And you know, here's another point is, you know, Harden gets to the line 11 times a game and, you know, the majority of people will say, well, the way he draws fouls is a skill. You know, his craftiness to get his arms under guys and, you know, uh, get them off him, get to the line 11 times a game. Most of that is skill. But, but Giannis gets to there, you know, 10 times a game and we think nothing of it. So, like, is the way Giannis gets to the line isn't skillful but Harden is? Like, that's, that confuses me, man. Like, that's, that's, I don't understand that. And then here's the last thing, okay? You know, Giannis, they talk about Giannis not being a great shooter. He's shooting 31% from three on five attempts per game. That percentage, in terms of the 31% from three, is better than Spencer Dinwiddie, Jimmy Butler, Russell Westbrook, Gary Harris, Julius Randle, and Damari Carroll. All of those guys are shooting worse from three from a percentage standpoint than Giannis Antetokounmpo. And yes, some of those guys got you know, versatility to their jumpers. I get it. Some of those guys, you know, take them off the dribble 
you know, from three, uh, looking at Dinwiddie and Butler mainly. Um, but again, like if, if I told you that Giannis was a better, you know, three point shooter by percentage than those guys, you know, mainly, you know, Dinwiddie, Butler, Harris, Damari Carroll, you would be surprised. You would be really surprised at that. So to me, taking all this into account, like from the footwork in the post, the, the fadeaway jumper he's added to his game, the ability to handle the ball in transition and uh, and in the half court, to be a passer out of double teams, to harness his athleticism, to set up his skillful moves, uh, and the three-point shooting, which is, you know, uh, I would say... I wouldn't say underrated because he obviously still isn't a great three-point shooter, but a little bit better than most people think, I would say, given some of the guys that he's a better three-point shooter than by percentage. Giannis is clearly skilled. He's clearly a skilled player. And to me, to make an argument otherwise is is just asinine. Like, I saw some guy basically say, well, he averages 30 points a game. How can he not be skilled? Which, you know, I agree with, like, 31 points in 30 minutes. Like, you're not just bullying your way to the basket all, all game doing that. And the, and the guy comments, like, as a response, well, 20 points of it comes in transition. Okay, first of all, 20 points of it does not come in transition. And second, b- being able to lead the transition break is a skill. Like, you have to dribble. You have to set up your moves in transition. Like, guys are still trying to stop you. Guys are still using verticality. They're still trying to take a charge on you. You still got to, you know, use your footwork to step around them. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm, go, I'm, I'm going on a tangent here because it's getting ridiculous. So, to me, Giannis is clearly skillful. I don't even, even want to entertain the argument on the other side that he's not skillful, in my opinion, because he does too many things that nobody else can do at his size, even as a smaller player. Even as smaller players, there's a lot of things that these guys you know, necessarily can't do what Giannis does. And so, to me, Giannis is clearly skilled. He's not a guy that just runs and dunks. That's, that's stupid to me. And uh, I, I think it's ridiculous to entertain anything else uh, other than the opinion that Giannis is a very skilled player. Uh, and I would also think it's stupid to entertain anything else other than the fact th- to say that Harden does pass the ball and Harden is a great passer. You know, so both of these guys are wrong about each other when they describe each other. But hey, we got a nice little rivalry here, which is fun. Two MVP candidates going at it. I, I'm not hating it. I'm definitely not hating it, and it's good to see that these guys uh, are really starting to develop some animosity towards each other, and uh, we'll be excited to see that uh, when they play next. I think it's in late March. Uh, You'll be sure that I'll be uh, tuning into that one. That'll be a lot of fun. All right, let's wrap up the podcast with what I learned this week. This is a short little uh, what I learned this week, but it's important. So any any guy that's been bought out and uh, waived by March 1st, is actually able to be playoff eligible. Meaning if you're meaning if you're waived after today, and I'm recording this obviously on March 1st, uh, 9.06 as I talk right now, but if you're waived after March 1st, you're not playoff eligible. So if you're waived by your team um, by tomorrow, you're, you're, you're done for the year. You cannot play in the NBA um, for the rest of the year. You're not able to be uh, signed to a roster. Uh, however, if you... Actually, I got to check on that. Maybe you can be signed to for the regular season, but not the playoffs. But again, why would you do that unless uh, unless somebody gets injured or something, uh, which could be the case. So I had to double check that. But I know that if you're waived after March 1st, you cannot play in the playoffs. I know that for sure. So, but if a player is waived um, by today, March 1st or prior, they can be added to 
a NBA roster up until the last day of the regular season. So you have up until um, the end of uh, middle of April. I forget when the last day of the regular season is, but on the last day of the regular season, you can add players to your playoff roster as long as they have been waived uh, by or prior to March 1st. Okay. Thank you everybody for listening. Once again, I've got a video in the works. I've cut every single Pascal Siakam spin move uh, from this year. And I'm going to do a breakdown, much like I've done on YouTube in the past, where I've done uh, J- I've done James Harden's step back, and I've done Chris Paul's uh, step out move. Uh, and now I'm going to focus on Pascal Siakam's spin move. So I'll be working on that. That should be coming out very soon. Uh, head over to the YouTube channel. You can search ISO Ball Podcast uh, on YouTube for that. Or you can search uh, my name, Derek Terrio, D-E-R-E-K, T-H-E-R-R-I-A-U-L-T, and you'll be able to find my videos uh, uh, there as well. So be on the lookout for that. Um, And, yeah, that's basically it. Uh, Please like, uh, subscribe, share, do whatever you can um, to help help me out as much as I can. And, uh, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll keep this going throughout the playoffs, and uh, we'll we'll see you back for another episode of This Week in Basketball next week. Till then. Sorry, quick addendum to the podcast here. I forgot to pick next week's This Week in Basketball game. And uh, greatly enough, I will actually be live uh, at the Detroit Pistons versus the Oklahoma City Thunder uh, on March 4th on uh, this coming Wednesday. So that will be our game of the week. Not necessarily an overly exciting game um, necessarily, but I will actually be live 10 rows up middle of the court uh, for that one in the lower bowl, and I'm very excited along with Nick Raponi. We may have actually a podcast uh, recapping that game uh, right after it ends uh, on Wednesday. So be sure to look out for that as well. Uh, but otherwise, if we don't have one then, we'll see you next week.